the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. They are like professional athletes who work at it. Their hearts have been trained in greed. They're good at it. They know what they're doing. They know when to cry to get you to write a check. They know how to exploit you and how to manipulate you. And it all goes back to this. They think that by being in religion, they can make money off of you. For a while, it sounded like Pastor Steve was describing the stereotypical used car salesman, didn't it? There is potentially big money in religion. False teachers love to get rich by exploiting people with smooth talk and false hopes. I'd like to welcome you to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is nearing the end of a detailed study of the Ten Commandments. Coveting is an internal sin that expresses itself externally in a variety of ways. Mark's Gospel relates the story of a rich man asking Jesus how he might inherit eternal life. After the man boasted of his righteousness, Jesus told him the only thing left for him to do was to sell all he had give it to the poor, and follow Jesus. In the modern vernacular, you could say that the man said, well, I guess I'm lost then, and walked away because he could not bring himself to surrender his riches. Let's take a closer look at how the love of possessions affects unbelievers. Here is Pastor Steve. As we said before, it isn't that you just don't murder somebody. You're not supposed to hate anybody. It isn't that you just don't... uh, Just don't commit adultery, not to lust in your heart. It's the heart that the Bible is dealing with. And this man failed to understand that. He completely missed the point. He was guilty of breaking all of the commandments, and yet he never saw it. And so what Jesus did is he picked out the most cherished and esteemed sin issue in this man's life. And it was greediness, it was money, it was covetousness. Jesus put his finger on that particular sin nerve and he said, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Instead of just saying, listen, young man, you're guilty of coveting. Jesus translated the commandment about coveting into a practical test. He gave him a test and the test was this. Was this man willing to acknowledge his covetous and idolatrous love of money and repent of it by abandoning his wealth for Christ. In other words, was he willing to give up the God he already had for another God? That's what Jesus is really doing. Would he denounce his God of money and embrace Christ's lordship? That's really the thought here. Because remember, Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 6 that no man can serve two masters. I mean, that's not even logical. You can't serve two masters. You can only serve one master. If you have two masters, then neither of them are your master. You cannot serve God. He said you cannot serve mammon, which is another word for wealth. You can't do that. But this man was serving wealth. This man already had a God. And listen, you don't add Jesus to your life and keep your your gods. 
You don't do that. You have to repent of whatever idol you have in your life in order to embrace Jesus. He's not one more God that you add to have our complete submission. And so Christ was putting this man to the test. Which would he choose? Who would be his master, money or Jesus? And the tragic result of this test is that the man failed. The man decided that he would continue to love money. He would have money as his God because we're told he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. See, folks, this, this young man decided to continue with the love of money without any repentance, no repentance. And it kept him from getting what he said he wanted, eternal life. Money had such a grip on his heart that he made it an idol and he refused to let go of it. This is the defining moment in his life. Do you realize if this young man never repented at any other point, and we're, and we're not told that he did, we don't know. He's been in hell all of these years without any money abandoned by Christ. He has nothing, nothing. And he, for all of eternity, think about this. He could look back and think, I was this close to the kingdom. I was in the presence of the Lord God Almighty, the one who made me. And he actually told me what I needed to hear, that I was a sinner. And, my, and understand, if I understood that and grasped that and didn't turn from that, I would have come to him. Think of that. Every moment for all of eternity, he can dwell on that thought. Now, years later, a man who was very similar to this rich young ruler before his conversion was the apostle Paul. In fact, there are some people who surmise that maybe Paul was this rich young ruler. Scripture doesn't say that. But Scripture does tell us that Paul was a man like this. In fact, as we saw last week, Romans 7, he said he had a big problem with coveting. But Paul expands on this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I told you we'd get back to it this week, and we're going to look at it now and, and again before we close. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is very interesting, but this is dealing with, with covetousness and how it affects unbelievers. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Now, the reason this is important for you to understand, even if you are a believer, this is how you need to pray for unbelievers. Pray for the sin of coveting in their lives, that they would recognize it, and they would repent of it, and they would turn to Christ as a result. First Timothy chapter 6. Notice verse, beginning at verse, uh, verse 9. Paul writes, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many, many griefs. Now there's certainly an application for, for everyone, for, for believer and unbeliever alike. There's certainly application, I should say, should, should say for for believers, but this specifically, this, these verses are dealing with unbelievers. That's the context. In fact, the context here is not just any old unbelievers, but false teachers. False teachers, those who, who were exposed to the gospel, perhaps made some type of a profession of faith, but they're not interested in the gospel. And the reason I say this, look back at verse 3. Paul writes, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he's conceited. He understands nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of, of gain. What he's talking about are those men 
who uh, want to argue with you about Christianity. They want to get involved in words and, and they, get, they, they debate with you and they deal with controversies. Well, what do you think about this? Oh, really? What do you think about this? And they, they're abusive in their language. And what they've done, according to verse 5, they've gone into organized religion because that's where the money is. These are false teachers. They suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They suppose, and in this case it would be their pretense of godliness, that if they get into the religion business, they'll make money. And we know that the Bible, the Bible teaches that all false teachers are greedy. That is one of the characteristics of a false teacher. For those of you who are not here for our study in 2 Peter, which wasn't that long ago, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, speaking of false teachers, uh, Peter says this, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Listen, they're out for your buck. They're out to make money off of you and they will exploit you. With, with smooth, false words. And Peter characterizes them in chapter 3, actually chapter 2, verse 14, where he says, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, and watch this, having a heart trained in greed. They are like professional athletes who work at it. Their hearts have been trained in greed. They're good at it. They know what they're doing. They know when to cry to get you to write a check. They know how to exploit you and how to manipulate you. And it all goes back to this. They think that by being in religion, they can make money off of you. And so as you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, those are the people that Paul is describing. And in verse 9, he specifically characterizes them as greedy people. He said they want to get rich. That doesn't mean they're wealthy. They want to, get, they want to be wealthy. It's their ambition to be wealthy. They may be poor, but their ambition is to make money. They want to be. They pursue wealth as the number one priority in their lives. As we say, they have dollar signs in their eyes. They can't look at somebody without thinking what would benefit them. How can they make money off of this person? And so, and so that's what they are. They are, and Peter sa- uh, rather Paul says that when your primary objective in life is to make money, you will be, according to verse 9, tempted and then entrapped by your own covetous desires. Notice, notice what he says in verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. First you fall into temptation, and then a snare. A snare is a, as it was a trap for an animal. You're trapped by your own sinful desires. Far from satisfying you, the more you get, the more you want. It, it just produces more coveting. You'll never be satisfied. If you have a covetous heart, nothing will satisfy you. You will be trapped by your own sinful desires for more and more and more. You'll never reach a point where you'll, where you'll say, I have enough. Because the problem is your heart. That's what has to be changed. And unless they repent of, of the sin, unless unbelievers repent of, of this sin and all the other sins that they're aware of, the ultimate effect of coveting will be that they have plunged themselves into hell. Because notice... Verse 9 says, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Those are two terms reserved for eternal damnation. Jesus used it that way and Paul is using it here. This is not talking about believers now. This is talking about hell itself. Now, a valid question to ask is, why would anybody, why would anybody risk all of this, their eternal destiny, upon, upon just coveting? Why would anyone end up in hell 
when they're covetous. Why? The answer is found in verse 10. Why would someone not come running to Christ and embrace him? Verse 10 says, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It's not money itself, and it's not the only source of evil, but it is a root of all sources of evil. And Paul goes on to say, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. See, they knew the faith. These are not people who lost what they had. They never had it to begin with. They've wandered away from not personal faith, but the faith. Definite article means the body of of truth. They wandered away from the truth, the gospel. And in doing so, Paul says, they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Not only the grief of, of hell itself, but many griefs in this life because it never satisfies. Now, let's put this in biblical perspective. Remember, it was for the love of money and only the love of money that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus Christ. That's what coveting will do to you. Judas said in Matthew 26, 15, what will you give me and I will deliver him to you? It was all about money, all about money. And when the sin of covetousness had run its course with Judas, it sent him to a suicide's grave without any money in his hands and without Christ in his heart. What a waste. And listen, there was nobody closer to the truth without embracing it than Judas Iscariot. Nobody. That, that ought to come as a sober warning to us. Some of you may not know Christ. You're exposed to the gospel. You hear it taught week in and week out. Make sure you know Christ. Make sure you've, you've experienced regeneration, that he's changed your heart. Because if you're in love with money and you die like that, you will, you will die in your sin. Now, we all struggle with it, but I'm talking about unrepentance. I'm talking about just that's the way life is and that's the habitual way of your life. Turn away from this idol and embrace the true God, Jesus Christ, who can forgive you and save you before it's too late. So for unsaved people, the great danger of coveting is that it can get such a grip on their lives that it will hold them all the way to hell. But what about saved people? What about those who know Christ? What is the danger involved in being covetous? After all, we, we all have this. What's the big deal about it? I'll tell you what the big deal is. Remember the, the very intent of the Ten Commandments is that for God's people, the Ten Commandments are to tell us how to love God and how to love one another. That's the intent of it for God's people. For unsaved people, the intent of the Ten Commandments is to show you that you can't obey it. You don't have the capacity to obey it. And hopefully you'll see your sin, that you've broken the law and it will lead you to Christ. But for God's people, God's redeemed covenant people, the Ten Commandments are the way God tells us how to demonstrate love for him. Remember, remember the story which we've already looked at. Remember the story where that one day a man came to Jesus and said, tell me, what of all the 600 commandments in the Bible, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment, the first commandment is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. And the first few commandments in the 10 commandments tell us exactly how to do that. No idols, we observe the Sabbath, we don't, we don't worship graven images, we, all of that. We don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's how to demonstrate love for God. But the second part of that, remember Jesus went on to say, the, he wasn't asked this, but he went on and said, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the rest of the commandments are all about that. Beginning with the fifth commandment all the way through the end, it tells us how to, how to love one another in a, um, a horizontal way. That's what this is about. So, what is the devastating effect being a covetous person does in, in light of that? Coveting turns us into loveless people. 
selfish people, self-absorbed people who are consumed with taking and getting our own way and whatever we want. See, when you're coveting and there's no repentance, then you don't care about anybody else. You don't care. It's all about you. It's all self-serving. Instead of putting others first and wanting what's best for them, coveting breeds envy. It breeds jealousy. I want what you have and I'll do anything to get it, even if I have to hurt you. I'll get it. If I have to physically hurt you, if I have to emotionally hurt you, but I will get it. You're in my way. I have an agenda. Now, keep in mind, as we said, the, the whole point of the commandments is about love. For a believer, it's about love. And yet, coveting destroys the love that God wants produced in our lives. For example, the commandment says you are to love your parents by honoring them. Honoring your parents. Honor your father and mother. Well, part of honoring is to, to financially provide for them in their old age, if they have needs. But if you covet, then you're not going to use your resources to help them. You forget about your parents, or you'll be cheap and stingy with them. Or you'll, worse yet, think that they're still to take care of you. All the rest of their lives, that's what, that's what life is about, caring for me. You can't be loving you can't honor them. And all the other commandments that follow say that if we love others, then we're not going to murder them. We wouldn't murder somebody if we love them, whether that's physical murder or character assassination. We wouldn't, we wouldn't commit adultery with someone. If we really love that person, we want, what we, want, we want what's best for them and their spouse. We wouldn't take them from their spouse. If we really love others, we're not going to steal from them. We want to give to them. We don't want to take from them. If we really love others, we're not going to ruin their reputation by bearing false witness against them. We're not going to gossip. We're not going to talk down about them. But a covetous heart doesn't obey any of these commandments because instead of doing what is best in giving to others, just wants to take from others. That's the devastating effect this commandment has upon us when we break it. If we covet the possessions of others, then we will murder them. We will steal from them. We will lie in order to get what we want. And you see how coveting adversely affects our relationship with other people. It completely destroys the very intent of the, of, of the commandments. And the Bible is filled with stories of sinful behavior that came as a result of a coveting heart. For example, it's a covetous heart that drove King David to steal Uriah's wife. Uriah had one wife, David had many, and he stole. That's what Nathan the prophet said. This man had one lamb and you stole it. You had many. It was covetousness that drove him not only to steal Uriah's one wife, but to commit adultery with that one wife, and then to make sure that Uriah was murdered. All of that, folks, stemmed from a covetous heart. It's a covetous heart of envy that led Cain to take the life of his brother Abel and to murder him. I mean, that's, that's where... That's where the human heart is. In fact, it goes back even further than that. It was a covetous heart that drove Eve to look at that fruit, forbidden fruit, and say, I want it. It's a delight to my eyes. It'll give me the wisdom that I want. I'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And it was, it, it was a coveting heart that plunged us into the very fall that we now experience. See, you, you can see this so often. I mean, I haven't used this illustration, but you can just see how it permeates everything. You, you take little children who have never heard a message like this. They can't even say the word covetous. I can barely say it. But you, you put them in, and there's one kid who has 15 toys. 
He's got all the toys he, he has. But then another little boy walks in the room, or a little girl, who has one toy. And that other lad with 15 looks at that child, and what does he do? He wants what that other one has. That's exactly how covetous, how covetousness works. And it affects every area of life. And one area it really, really impacts is the area in which we, are, we call jealousy. Jealousy. Coveting is why we continue to commit character assassinations today because we are jealous. So we destroy someone's reputation. We are jealous and envious. As I told you last week, that absolutely has infiltrated the evangelical church. There is so much jealousy amongst not only God's people, but, but especially leaders, pastors, teachers in the church. 1 Corinthians 13.4 states that love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. Because, you see, love, love rejoices with the goodness of God in other people's lives. It is a jealous person who, who just pretends to rejoice. Say, hey, that's great for you. But deep in their heart, they're thinking, maybe not even that deep. I wish it were me. Why did that person get that blessing? I want it. Love is not jealous. Jealousy is the offspring of, of coveting. It goes hand in hand. It was because of a covetous heart of jealousy and envy that King Saul, the first king of, of Israel, tried to kill David, King David, because he craved all the attention and, and all the popularity that David was enjoying. The women said something like this, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul had an envious heart. They were making a big fuss over David and he wanted that. He wanted that recognition. He wanted that honor. He wanted the people to applaud him. And it drove him to try to kill David. There are many Christians today who are extremely jealous because they do. They do covet the prestige and honor that God has allowed others to have. And they resent the fact that others are paid more attention to than than them. In fact... There's a great illustration of this in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Let's turn there. You may not have thought of it this way. It's a story of a young couple, or a couple, I should say, in the young church. I don't know how young they were. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were a couple, a married couple in the infant church in Jerusalem. And the story, though most of us start with chapter 5, the story really begins with chapter 4 of Acts. And this is so typical of where we are. And I want to bring out something here because I don't want any of us to go from here minimizing this sin, thinking, well, we all have it, so what's the big deal? Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, and would lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, this was not an ongoing situation in the church. These people were very poor. 
Uh, The church had just been born on the day of Pentecost and some were caught, some were in Jerusalem celebrating it and then they became believers and they couldn't go back home right now. Some of them would would, uh, go back home and they would have lost their jobs. Some in Jerusalem had lost their jobs. They were very, very poor. And so everybody sort of pooled their resources. This is not something that continues all the time. The spirit of giving does, but not necessarily communal living and all that. Pastor Steve Kreloff will elaborate on this passage in Acts on the next verse by verse. Our time is nearly gone for today, so let me close by thanking you for joining us. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio versions of his pulpit messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. We are thankful for the people who give generously to help keep these programs on the air. If you are interested in supporting these Bible classes of the air, please visit our website and click the Support Us link. If you'd like to order a CD or a cassette with this entire three-part message, call us at 727-239-0306. Next time, Pastor Steve will conclude this series on the Ten Commandments with some encouraging words to help us avoid falling into the trap of covetousness. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. There's a lot going on right now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.